Okay, Acts chapter 1. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, it is a verse that we are all very, very familiar with. Two weeks ago when I shared with you from John 15, 8, I was sharing with you about uh, Jesus' call for us to be disciple makers. When he, there in John 15, 8, when he said this, uh, my Father's glorified in this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. We talked about how we're called to glorify God. We are called to be fruitful and we are called to make disciples. This time around, we want to look at the mission. And in all honesty, they go together. You can't have one without the other. It's, 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 to make disciples is to be on mission, all right? So it's not anything distinct, but there is something, there's something about this. And I use the term Jesus' last words that we need to make that our priority. Whatever we do in the church, whatever we do in our home or at work or whatever we do anytime we go anywhere, we need to make Jesus' last words our first priority. And we, also, we know that in, at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, his great commission, when he tells us to go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. But in this verse, this is another one of his last words that we want to look at. Acts chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 7, but verse 8 is where we're going to spend time. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Father, as we look into your word this morning, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would magnify those nuggets of truth in our lives that you would want us to, to chew on, to digest, to apply, to live out, to transform us, Father. We pray that as we look at this, we will allow your spirit to do his work in this place in our lives as you wish, for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, your view of the church and what the church is is going to pretty much determine how you see the mission of the church. That's the title of the message, is this, the mission of the church. Because if you look at the church as being about this place that we're meeting in this morning, then we're going to be an inwardly focused church. We're going to be talking about our music programs, our worship services, our youth programs. We're going to be talking about if, if it is all about this building, then we're going to be talking about what goes on in this building. And there are a lot of churches around the country that get caught up into that. Right? They, they just, they, the, everything is about what goes on throughout the week. They calendar the whole week. Oh, Tuesday night, we got a women's thing here. Wednesday night, we got prayer meeting here. We got dinner here. Thursday night, we got the youth group here. Sunday night, we got things going on. And everything is about this building. I tend to believe that that is the fault of some guy named Constantine back in the day when he legalized Christianity and started building these elaborate buildings and he started calling them Kyriakos or Kyriakon. And if you look at the, the, the history of that word, it works its way down in German. In, in Germany, it was Kirk, which is where we get our word church from. It is, the, the word church that we use in English is really about the building. 
But the word we know in the New Testament is ecclesia, right? Ecclesia, and he talks about that as being an assembly of people. He talks drawing people together for a purpose. When they came together, even if it was in a court, people came together for a reason. They just didn't gather. They came together for a reason. And he called them out in assembly out. And he's, it's more about the people. And you see that in other languages. Whether it's in French, they call it eglise. Whether it's in Spanish, uh, iglesia. Whether, even in Arabic, I believe it's kinesa. You will see the word that is used throughout history working its way through the languages. It is more about the body than the building to them. And so if it's about the body, then there is something. We look at these verses differently than when we look at these verses considering the building. And so when he says, go and make disciples, he's not talking about going and make disciples so that we can have more buildings out there. That might be a part of it eventually. That might be something that supports that. But it's not the goal just to plant buildings in places where there are not buildings. It is to see the church multiply itself through individuals, through families, through gatherings. It is not about a building. I, I, used, I think two weeks ago I used the term that, uh, you know, this movement that we want to see is, it's, it's like, uh, and I used the term kudzu, uh, talking about the vine that grows in the south. And there was a couple of you that came up to me afterwards and said, you didn't tell us what kudzu was. You just told us kudzu. So listen, it is an invasive vine that just, you can't stop it. It just, it is all over. If you go to the Carolinas, it is up buildings, uh, uh, telephone poles along highways. It just looks like, it just looks like a web of vines going down through that just takes over areas that it, it comes into. And that's the way I believe that the gospel can take over an area just like kudzu that nobody can stop. And so here we're looking at this verse. We need to, I want us to look at it. And I know the vast majority of you, I've, I've been in this building, I've heard people, I've, I've, I've sat through, heard people talk about, I know you agree with the fact that it is about the body, that you are more in tune with ecclesia as the body, not the building. But I just wanted to put that out there in case there was one or two of you that might be visiting or one or two of you that might not have ever thought about it. It is not about this building. It is about the body. And so he says, For you shall receive the power when the, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When Jesus is talking to the disciples, he is sharing with them. He, he is, we, last week we looked, in, or two weeks ago, we looked at John 15 and from 14 and 15 and 16. He is getting them ready for his going away. He is catching them up with everything that he has taught them for the previous three years. In, in chapter 17 of John, he has this great prayer. It's the Lord's prayer that he is just crying out to God that his life would be, bring glory to God, that that the disciples' lives would bring glory to God and that the people that they would reach would bring glory to God. He is crying out to them. And here he is sitting with them for this last time and he's telling them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The power behind the mission that we have as a church, this great commission, this mission that God has given us, the power behind that is nothing that we do. It is something only the Holy Spirit can do. And it is something we need to become more trusting and familiar with and allowing the Spirit to move in us. 
He tells them in John 16, 7, he says, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go, for I do not go away, the helper, if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus tells them that the, the, the only way that you're going to experience this power, because previous to that, he said, greater things you're going to do than I've done. He, he, he tells them that. Hello? He, he tells them. Just making sure that wasn't from God or something. He tells them that, that greater things you're going to do telling the disciples than I have done. Now, that doesn't mean greater in power. It's not like these guys are going to go out and walk on water and, and do all of these things. But I believe what he's saying here is the impact is going to be worldwide. And so he's wanting them to trust in this. You need to allow me to go away. I'm going to go away so that the helper will come to you. And when you have this helper, when the Holy Spirit has come on you, you will see what I mean. And in Acts chapter 2, during Pentecost, the Holy Spirit showed up, right? We look in here and we see that, and they were all filled, in chapter 2, verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now that word utterance is not about blabbing, nonsensical kind of things. I know there's a whole debate on the tongues and things like that. This, when it says tongues here, it means other languages. It is not talking about things that you just can't understand because what does it say later on? It says, all these people standing around heard them speaking in a language, their own language. And so when, and, and when it talks about utterance here, that word is only used three other times or, th or two other times in the New Testament. And all three times it talks about something that the Spirit has done from God to them. Let me just, look at, let me just share, share that with you. He talks about, he raised, in, 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 uh, in chapter 2, verse 14, Peter raised his voice and declared to them. Remember when they said, oh, those guys must be drunk. Those guys are drunk. And Peter stood up and he started preaching to the crowd. Right? And he says, and, the vo and he raised up his voice and he declared to them. He was getting up to start preaching to them. The other time it is used is when Paul is standing before Festus and Festus looks at him, man, you must be mad. Isn't it interesting that every time somebody says, man, you must be crazy, you must be mad, you must be drunk, that it uses this word when it says, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. He, and he begins to preach to them and he, as he has done even before that. He is talking about God. And so when it uses utterance here in Acts chapter 2 verse 4, when the Holy Spirit comes on them and they began proclaiming the word and they began teaching in, in, in these languages, whatever the Spirit gave them, In Romans chapter 8, he says, However, you are not in flesh, but of spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. This shows us that not only at that one time, in Acts, when the Pentecost, when there was Pentecost, not only at that time did the Spirit come on them, but everyone who comes to faith in Christ receives the Spirit. And so the same Spirit that spoke in Acts chapter 2 through these disciples, this message throughout, in a, in maybe in a foreign language, but he calls us to do the same thing when he says, go and make disciples. And you do this not in and of yourself. Try to go out and do it on your own. 
Try to go out without being a, a, a Christian. I know there was, for the longest, I thought I was a Christian. I, 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 and, and when I was 12 years old, I was at a VBS, and I went forward during a VBS, and I prayed a prayer. And for 10 years, I thought I was a Christian. I thought I was good to go. But I had no idea what it meant to be a Christian. And there were times when I would tell people, yeah, I'm a Christian. And there were times I would tell people about God. I remember going to FCA meetings in high school. And I would talk to other people and I would share my testimony about how I prayed a prayer when I was 12 years old at the Second Baptist Church in Smyrna, Georgia. But it wasn't until I got to that place where I realized that I never really committed myself to Jesus Christ. Honestly, what I did that day at the Second Baptist Church of Smyrna, Georgia, was commit myself to be one of the first ones in line to get cookie during the break at the VBS. Because that's what they did. They said, you know, those of you who respond, you get to be first in line for refreshments. I was first one down there. And I prayed the prayer and I got my cookie and that was the end of it. And if I would have depended on that, if it wasn't for people like Marty Vess, for Mike Gann, if it wasn't for those guys I went to school with that started sharing with me all throughout, and I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. If it wasn't for those guys that just kept praying for me, investing in me, and sharing with me, I never would have probably come to a place where I thought, man, God, I am a sinner before you. I have no hope in that prayer I prayed when I was 12 years old. There is nothing there that is redeeming whatsoever in my life. It is hopeless. And that, and, and that happened November 21st, 1982. When I came forward again and spoke with a deacon and had a million questions for him and, 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 and he shared with me God's love apart from what I can do or what anybody else can do for me, he just laid out God's love in front of me. And all the things that was coming up, all the things that Mike Ginn said, or Marty Vess said, or Lane Wood said to me, all those years, they started making sense. God was revealing himself and, making, and helping me to understand these things those guys were sharing with me. And that's the morning that I gave my life to Christ. It is something that we do as individuals, but without the help of the Holy Spirit bringing those things to mind, bringing those things to, to, to our attention, we have no hope of being a follower of Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have no hope of being able to take that message out there without the power of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, this, this idea of the Spirit within us, it, is a, it, can, it can be controversial. Even among Southern Baptist circles, it can be very controversial. I remember when we were in Morocco. I was coming home. I was hungry. I was coming home from, or I was going home to eat lunch. I was hungry and I was going home to eat lunch. And as I was passing this one street, going up this, this side street, I felt, I don't know, have you ever felt this way? Hey, you need to go over here and talk to this person. Anyone ever felt that? You need to go over here and talk to them. Probably, honestly, most of us are, th are, are this way because this is the way I am most of the time. It's only happened to me three or four times where I felt beforehand, go talk to this person. Most of the time, it's afterwards. After we've not talked to someone, we, oh, man, I should have talked to so-and-so or I should have said this or I should have done that. But there are times when God does something on the front end. And I remember walking home for, to go get lunch and I felt compelled to go up this street. I didn't want to. I just kept walking. And it was as if every step I took, there was a stronger pull. You need to get over here and go up this street. 
And I'm okay, I'll go up this street. Maybe there's something to eat up there. And as I was walking up the street, as I was walking up the street, I was passing all of these nice grilled meats out on the sidewalk. Is it here? Is it here? Is it here? No, just keep walking. Just keep walking. I walked for like six blocks until he said, okay, sit here. And I'm going to tell you this, and you're going to probably, some of you might walk out of here thinking, this guy's nuts. But I'm going to tell you this. It wasn't just at a certain cafe I was supposed to sit at. It was at that table on the last one on the back row in the corner on the outside I was supposed to sit at that table. It's not like the thing was lit up or it's not like there was a finger pointing at it or anything. It was just something in me said, sit here. So I sat there. There was nobody else out there. It was kind of a cool afternoon. God comes out, says, what would you like? Bring me some mint tea. So I'm sitting there drinking. I'm, I'm there 15 minutes or so, and I'm going, okay, God, I'm hungry. What's up? And behind me, I hear this. Psst, psst. That's the way Moroccans, they don't say, hey, you, or hey, or anything like that. They hiss at you. So I turn around and look, and there's two young guys sitting right over here, or, or not sitting, but standing right over here beside me, just around the corner from the cafe. The first words out of their mouth were, are you a Christian? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I'm not, so I was getting giddy. I was getting goosebumps. Hair was standing up on its end. I, all this, you know, your, the brain was like clicking and all this kind of stuff. I was like, oh man, this is going to be so cool. And they said, can we ask you questions? I went, yeah. So they came up there and they sat down by me. The guy came out. He says, what would you like? Get whatever you want. I'm buying. They got their coffee. They went back in. And for the next 30 minutes, they were tell, we were talking back and forth. They shared with me about how they had heard the last Thursday night on Transworld Radio, a broadcast from Spain. And Moroccan Arabic coming into this country. And the verse that they heard was in John 14, 6, where it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And the Moroccan that was in Spain who puts these broadcasts together for every Thursday night in Moroccan Arabic and, and, and broadcasts it into the country, he was telling them, we cannot stand in paradise with Allah without Jesus Christ. And he was preaching this. So they said, can you tell us if this is true or not? Well, it just so happens that for two weeks leading up to this point, I was actually preparing a little mini message in Arabic on John 14, 6. And I pulled out my little English Arabic New Testament and I showed them where the verse was. And we had a conversation and you could see their eyes go off. You see them bright up. They, they, were, they, they were excited. They were saying things to each other I didn't understand. And before long, I said, does this sound like something you guys would like to do? You would like to be a follower of Jesus Christ? They said, yes, we cannot do anything about it here, but we will go away. We know who we can talk to. And I said, me? And they says, no, no, we know a friend who's a Christian. We, we. And so they, they, they just walked away. I went back to that neighborhood for the next two or three weeks every day, sometimes multiple times during the day to see if I could find these guys. Never saw them again. But here's what I want you to see. Not only did the Spirit compel me to go down through there, not only did the Spirit bring those two boys to that place where we could have a conversation, but God caused it so that that cafe would be empty at that time because every time I went back there, that cafe was always full. All day long, every day, there were always people there. There were always people walking up and down the street. And for some reason on that day, it was like a ghost town. And I remember going by there and says, man, where were all these people when we had that conversation? And just remembering, man, that's, a, that's just something God did. Now, I look at that and I'm going, man, that is something that 
I share that with Southern Baptists in, in, the, in Georgia, and, and I, you're, you, you, done gone to, you done crossed the charismatic line. And those of you who are from the Deep South, you know what I'm talking about. You have just crossed the line. There, there, there was a time when Shannon and I sat at a cafe. She was telling me about a friend of hers, how every time she would get to a place to start sharing uh, uh, the gospel with this lady, she would change the subject. And I remember saying to her, and I said, well, listen, I've been hearing about how God is speaking to a lot of these people in their dreams. I've been hearing about, and I've actually met a couple of guys who've told me about their testimonies, how God came to them in their dreams. And every one of them would talk about, come and follow me, and there's a bright figure, and the wound, and the hands, and the feet. I mean, they were down, all of the, all the dreams I kept hearing about, I said, let's pray that God will speak to your friend in a dream. Does that sound Southern Baptist to you? So we sat there at that cafe table, and we just prayed for that. And a few weeks later, I don't know exact timeline, and I don't know all the details of that conversation, but that lady asked Shannon, did you pray that your God would speak to me in my dreams? Because I've been seeing him all the time in my dreams. Now, we don't know if this lady ever became a follower. We don't, we don't know that. That's, she said she did, but the evidence is really not there a lot of the time. So we don't know what's going on there. But there are times when we need to not only be sensitive to what the Spirit might be doing in us, but trust the Spirit to do things in ways we don't understand. And that is hard for us to do. We just, Keith was just up here talking about the people in Laos and, and Buddhism and how you know, this whole spiritual animism and all that stuff going on. What we have found out is you go into a place like Laos... And you start using the gospel as a guilt-innocence kind of a thing. You know, what you know what I'm talking about? You're, you're guilty in sin. The only way to be found innocent is through Jesus Christ. And that doesn't work in many parts of the world. Because in that, where they're, they're, it's all about the spiritual world and the power of the spirits over their lives and things like that. And so what you have to do is you have to come at them. You have to come at them with the gospel that shows them how the Spirit of God can overwhelm the spirit of any any tree, any rock, any bird, any whatever, that it has no power over what God can do. In Muslim world, you have to use honor and shame, not guilt, innocence, or, or, or power, uh, power and, 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 and fear. It's about honor and shame. It's about restoring honor in someone's life. You talk, you talk about Adam and Eve. It wasn't that they were guilty and covered themselves. They were ashamed and covered themselves. The way they were restored to honor was when God provided for them. In the same way, God restored what? Innocence in that. In the same way, God restored power in that, right? And so it, the, way we, the way we engage people, we have to engage them in a way that they are going to understand, not just from what we have learned in our Western world, Western way of thinking, we have to trust in what the Spirit is doing, not just in us and not just around or through us, but also around us. Whatever context we find ourselves in, we have to trust the Spirit. And listen, all the time, it's not going to show... It. Trusting that Spirit's not going to always be what you want out of it. Just two weeks ago, I'm at a gas station over on the corner of uh, Bradley and Mattis. 
I'm at a gas station there, and I see a guy as I'm pumping gas. It's one of those cool, windy days, and there's a guy walking back and forth outside the gas station. He's got a beer in his hand. You can, you can hear what he's saying, and I'm not going to repeat it, but he's agitated. He's just pacing back and forth. This is a pretty big guy. And, and as I'm sitting there pumping gas, I feel, go over there and talk to him. And I went, uh-uh, that ain't going to happen. I am not going over there, God. And I finished pumping gas, and I was starting to get in the car, and I said, no, get over there and talk to him. Oh, man. And so, and I'm not lying. I was, I, was a little, I was a little nervous. I was a little scared. I walked over to this guy, and I said, hey, man, I, know, I was over here pumping gas. I noticed you're a little irritated about something. Is there any way I can pray for you? Started telling me about how he had lost his job, just other some you know, typical things from that that were going on in his life. And I said, well, here, let me pray for you. So I put my hand up on his shoulder, and I started praying for him. And afterwards, I used a, a technique that we use to get to the gospel, what we call a 15-second testimony. I used it, and I said, just kind of saying, you know, there was a time in my life when I thought my world was upside down, too, when I didn't have a job, and, and relationships were messed up. But then I met Jesus, and, and it was one of those things where I, I gave my life to Christ. And not that God took away all those problems, but I can manage through those problems a lot better with him than I can without him. Does that sound like something you'd like to know more about? And he turned around and walked away. And I said, listen, man, I just wanted to have a conversation with you. He walked away. I get in the car and I said, God, what is that about? I just want to, and I, honestly, I felt, I just want to see if you're going to continue to do what I say with or without the success behind it. Are you going to continue to do what I ask you to do? Friends, I am still trying to learn what that feels like to follow God, to follow the Spirit of God in my life beforehand because most of the time I experience it after the fact. I experience it when I'm in the line at a grocery store and I could have had a conversation. I get out to the car and I'm going, man, perfect opportunity for me to share something there. Or at a restaurant or wherever, at Walmart, wherever I am, I could, I, there's all, it's always after the fact when I go, oh man, I wish I would have said this or I wish I could have taken advantage of that. Always the reminder after the fact. But as we become more, I really do believe this, as we become more sensitive to the Spirit moving within us, we start getting a sense of that beforehand. And what we find out, what we will find out, is that God is not telling us, go over here, go over here, go over here, ignore them. He wants us to do that everywhere we go in all the things that we do. But there are times when He does specifically kind of point out Hey, go over there and talk to that person. Go over there and pray for that person. Go over there and minister to that person. Do we do that? Are we ready to do that? Are we open to doing that? Friends, without the Spirit's help, we are not going to be successful in, in completing the mission that He has given to His church. And so, the first part of this, and this is, this is the biggest part. The next two parts is just identifying the participants in the mission. But on this part, the spirit, the, the power behind the mission, if we don't get this part, these other two parts don't matter. They really don't. But he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. You shall be my witnesses. Now, this word witness is actually the Greek word martus, which is the word we get martyr from. I, want you to, I, 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 I need for you to pay attention to this because I am not saying, I am not saying that we're supposed to go out and die. What I am saying is that we are supposed to go out and live for our faith. If someone takes our life, then that's, that's on them. 
But we are, I believe that this word is more about living for what you believe in than dying for what you believe in. But we do know that the scripture says what? Die to yourself, right? Die to yourself, live for Christ. It does say, like in Romans, it says, you are a living, what? Sacrifice. So there is a sense of dying to ourself and all that, but it's more about living for what we believe in. We, we, we were old creature, now we are a new creation. We live in that mindset. We live in that capabilities. We live in that spirit-led abilities that we are a new creation. And that if people out there, Stephen did not go in Acts. He did not go out and say, I think I'm going to be a martyr today. Go out and just start preaching and have people stone him. I believe he was just, just one of those times when he did go out, people didn't like it, and they stoned him. And, 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 and many of us talk about, oh, that was the first martyr in, in the church, in, in, in the new church, in Acts. And it wasn't because he died. It was because he lived, and they took his life. And so when, he ta- when, 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 when you look at that, you shall be my witnesses. Yes, there is something that we live on it. Live on what? The truth of what he is talking about here. You will be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses to what? To his life, to his commandments, to his teaching, to his leading. It goes back even to the Great Commission. As you go, make disciples. As you go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Those are specific tasks. You shall be witnesses to Christ and be doing those things. So we are witnesses to Christ, powered by the Holy Spirit. And it is something that, it is, it is not just a verbal thing to do, and it is not just a, and hear me say this, it is not just a lifestyle evangelism. It is not just living a good life, being a good person, and all that kind of stuff. Because listen, there are a lot of good people, a lot of good people who are, do wonderful things. Maybe even in the eyes of most people, better things than any of us in this room when it, ta- when it, when it comes to serving the poor or, or, or feeding the poor, or serving the needy or putting their money into charities and stuff like that. In the eyes of the world, they might look at, oh, those are wonderful people. Those are really great people. But we don't do things just to celebrate things that mankind can do. We want, to do th- we want to celebrate things only God can do. And the way we do that as his witness is to allow the Spirit to, to, to control us to the point that the Spirit is guiding us throughout the day. That we're trusting in the Spirit. That we're being led by the Spirit. There are those... There are those who have a special calling to be a, to be a missionary or, or to go somewhere and be a missionary. But I believe that the New Testament says every Christian is a missionary. Every Christian is to make disciples. Every Christian is to engage their community, their neighbors, their co-workers, their schools, their marketplace, all the way to the nation's. Every Christian is a missionary. And so it's not just one of those things where, you know, I I hear people all the time say, well, I don't have the spirit of evangelism. Friends, I don't have the spirit of evangelism. 
if you hear me, t- man, I fumble, I, I uh, mess up words sometimes when I am sharing the gospel with people. I just, some, you know, it just takes me away. It just doesn't come natural to me. I have been with people where I don't know how they do it. They can drop their fork and use that as a tool to lead someone to Christ. But for me, I don't. But this is what I do know, that we're all supposed to be participating in sharing the gospel with people, whether you have the gift or not. I don't have the gift of giving, but I know we're all supposed to participate in giving to the ministry of the church in support of the mission. We're all supposed to do that. And so when it comes to this idea of missionary work and things like that, and, 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 and listen, I, I think it's great that we support missionaries and all that kind of stuff, but we have to get to a place where we all recognize that we are missionaries. Wherever we're planted, we are missionaries. And that that living sacrifice, the dying of ourselves to, to, to live for Christ, those are realities in being spirit-led and spirit-controlled. So we have the power behind the mission, that's the Holy Spirit, the people called to mission. That, listen, that's you and me. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to mission. We are called to join the Spirit in the great commission, working with Him to see that the nations, from our neighbors to the nations, hear the gospel. The peoples intended for the mission, those are what we see in the latter part of this verse when it says, that you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the world. Now, we can look at this geographically and talk about, you know, let's just kind of replace what we do here in Jerusalem. What does it mean in Jerusalem? Well, wherever we live, in Champaign, Urbana, or, or anything like that. And then we got Judea, Judah and, and uh, Samaria. Where is that? Well, you know, that can be the county or the state or the region or Whatever you want to put in there in the remotest part of the world, that's around the world. And yes, we are called. There are some churches that believe that we grow in that direction, that we start off locally and that we move in that direction. There's some people that interpret this saying, if you don't have your tentacles in each one of these areas, we're not a healthy church. I'm not so legalistic. All I know is this, is that if we're not doing it here, we're probably not going to be very good doing it over there. And so if we're not doing it here, this is where we need to work on. This is where we need to focus on. Right here in the Champaign-Urbana area, this is where we need to put our efforts into seeing people engage others with the gospel. And so you've got that idea that geographically there are areas we can pray over. There are people like, hey, man, maybe we need to do something in Laos. Maybe we need to do something in, I know there's people here that got connections to uh, Salt Lake City. Or, uh, you know, we've got connections to, Shan and I have connections to New England. And, you know, there's all sorts of places that are in desperate need of churches, healthy churches, that are going to engage their communities with the gospel. There's a need all over the place. But if we're not doing it here, there's no reason why we should go model what we're not doing here somewhere else. But even beyond that, I believe that this passage even points to subtly maybe, and it might be just me kind of pulling something out that might not be there. And so if it is, forgive me, but I'm just going to point it out anyway. But he says he he wants us to go to Judah and Samaria, right? Judea and Samaria. Where was Samaria? That was a place that Jews just, Jews just did not care to go through, was it? 
Samaria was that place that they would rather walk around and go through Samaria. They didn't want to, they didn't want to have anything to do with those people. They didn't want to, they didn't, that's, I believe that's one of the reasons why you see a lot of stories about the woman at the well or the, 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 the guy who takes care of the one who was beat up on the road, the Samaritan, the good Samaritan, right? Yeah, I believe there are stories like that because Jesus is constantly just trying to point out that they are part of the whole process as well. But what I, when I use the term Samaria, I, I'll ask you, what is your Samaria? What is your Samaria? Now, if we were in places in the South, their Samaria would be African-Americans, People we don't want to have anything to do with. People, oh, we say we love them, but they don't intentionally go out and engage them with the gospel. Matter of fact, in Anderson, South Carolina, I had a friend of mine who was a youth minister. He opened up the gymnasium they had at their church. Opened their gymnasium up for basketball so got businessmen other people could come in during lunch hour and play basketball. Within a month, he was called in before the deacons. The deacon says, you can't do this anymore. Shut it down. They didn't tell him why, but he found out later on is because there was a bunch of African-American businessmen coming to play basketball. And so we ain't going to have that in our church. We don't want them here. That's their Samaria. The people they want to avoid. And God, throughout the Scriptures, throughout the Scriptures. Man, we just, if you were fortunate enough, and if you're not fortunate enough, you need to go back and look at some of the message preached at a recent conference in Memphis, Tennessee. The uh, Martin Luther King 50 a conference there is a, is a bunch of pre- preachers and pastors just, just really did a good job at, 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 at using the scriptures to show that we need to be building bridges and tearing down walls all over the place. But friends, there are still people, whether it is in the deep South African Americans or even throughout some of our communities, that says we don't want those Muslim refugees in our neighborhood. And if that's where you are, then shame on you because that is anti-gospel. It is anti-gospel. And we need to be open. When the nations are coming to us, we need to be open and ready to take the gospel, not only to them, but ready to take it to them when they're in our own backyards. When Shannon and I came back from overseas, I could not believe the conversations I had with people about all these refugees. And they ought to just send them back home. They ought to just send all these Muslims back to where they came from. We don't want them here. We don't have anything to do with them. And man, my heart was breaking. My heart was breaking, not only because that was my people group when I was overseas. Those were my people that I was trying to see come to faith. In all honesty, the church did not want anything to do with Paul, right? The church wanted to avoid Paul at all costs. And look at what Paul did when God got a hold of his heart. So I keep looking around to all these Muslims saying, man, who's the next Paul that's going to go back into those places, take this gospel to people that I can't take it to. But on this end, I might be the one to pray with them. I might be the one to share with them. I might be that one that not, doesn't go down in history or anything like that. But I might be the one that sees the next Paul come to faith and go to his people and revival breaks out among the people because they took the gospel to them where no one else can go. Friends, where, search our heart. Allow the Spirit to search our hearts and find out what is our Samaria. We need to be ready. It says to go there. He said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the remotest parts of the world.
I've, I've, I know Chet and I've had this conversation before, and many of some of you I've had conversation before, but there is a difference between being mission-minded and missional. And, and, and this is just something that I've heard, I've read in the past and kind of tweaked it a little bit to kind of fit some of the verbiage I use. But mission-minded, we, when we talk about missions, a lot of times we talk about how do we pray, how do we give, and how do we go? Pray, give, go. If you go to the International Mission Board's website, you'll see it across the top, pray, give, go. You go to other Mission Board websites, they'll have similar things, pray, giving, going. But if you're mission-minded, many times, if you find yourself praying when prompted, in other words, you just pray when somebody else prompts you to pray about whatever. That's mission-minded. Missional is praying at all times, praying without ceasing. That means you're prompting yourself to actually pray, not waiting on someone else to prompt you to pray. You might have prayed this morning when Keith pointed out about the people of Laos. You might have prayed about that, and, that's, and, and listen, there's nothing wrong with that. But as you go throughout this day and week, when you see people around Champaign and Urbana, do you pray for them? Do you, do you desire to see them know who Jesus is? That is, that, that is missional praying. We, we're, we're constantly praying for opportunities, building bridges, tearing down walls. We're constantly praying for those things. Get, giving. Do we give when it's convenient to us or are we giving sacrificially? Mission-minded is when it's convenient for us. Missional is when it's just a part of your DNA. It's that you give when, you're, when, when, it's, when it's time to, when, when it's opportunities presents itself to give. You're ready to give. Mission-minded to go. You go when it's planned. In other words, we say, hey, we're going to, we're going to engage our community this week. Hey, make a, make a plan to invite a neighbor this week over to your house, get to know them, and all that. And you might do that. But then you might not do that again. Missional is where you are intentionally doing that all the time. You're looking for opportunities to go daily. When you leave your house, when you, put, when you get out of bed and put your foot on the ground, you are seriously thinking, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to pray? Who do you want me to engage? And you are constantly looking for those opportunities throughout your day. To pray, to give, to go. We want to be a church that is more missional, that's part of our DNA, that it becomes a rhythm in our life. Not just something that we do when it's when somebody else prompts us to do it, when someone else tells us to do it, that becomes a task that we check off our list and is not anything that's spirit-led. Friends, God has called us to go and make disciples. He has told us to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit that each one of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus has. We need to train ourselves, be sensitive to that Spirit and how it's moving, to be His witness everywhere we go from our neighbors to the nations. Let's pray. Father, as we consider your words, as we look not just at this passage, but as we open up your words throughout Scripture, we see that we are called to go and tell people about your greatness. Father, we don't want that to be a task. We want that to be something that comes natural to us. And Father, we pray that you would 
just cause the Spirit to move in each one of us in such a way that we have no doubt that is you moving us and compelling us, desiring for us to go and join you in your work wherever that might be. Father, I pray that as we not consider not only these words, but all the Scripture to transform us, to make us more Christ-like, that we would do good works, not just to receive the glory ourselves, but that we would do good works and point to your greatness so that people would bring glory to you. Father, I pray. My desire, Father, for me is that I would be so sensitive to your spirit and how you were leading me that I would be able to put off all the other things that are calling out for me and my time and my efforts and my gifts and talents that you have given me, Father. I pray that I would be so spirit-led that I would be able to catch your leading on the front end of opportunities and not after I have failed to take advantage of things you want me to do. Father, help us all. In order to honor you and to bring glory to your name, to be fruitful as, as you work in us, as you work through us, and as you work around us and prove that we are your desires, your disciples. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.